1: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word.
0: This is the problem that we have with the Lord's Prayer. You've heard it so often. That it doesn't pack the punch that it should pack.
1: Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, my name is Bill. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. Now, we're starting a new series called Here as in Heaven. In this first episode, Pastor Jeff gives us an overview of the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. It's Jesus' way of teaching us not only how to pray, but it's also how we can relate to God. Shall we get into it and hear what Pastor Jeff means by that? This is Today with Jeff Vines.
0: Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter six, Matthew six, verse nine. We're in a series called the Lord's Prayer. Actually, it's called Here is in Heaven. And uh, just to kind of let you know what's going on here, we're going to take a kind of 40,000 foot view of the Lord's Prayer to kind of set the stage for where we want to go in the completion of the series. But I remember when I was younger, at one point, uh, my father had me spend the night with my uncle Wayland. His name was Uncle Wayland Vines, and he lived in a little place called Gray, Tennessee, and the first time I spent the night with he and his wife, uh, about 2 a.m., uh, there was this huge, huge light coming through my window, and the foundations of the house literally were shaking, and uh, my bed was rumbling. It scared me so much that I got out of the bed. I must have been eight or nine years old, ran out of the bed, ran into my Uncle Wayland's room, and I said, Uncle Wayland, what was that? And you know, he calmly replied, what was What? <laughs> He lived right next door to the train tracks. And at 2 a.m. every morning, this train would come by and the light would shine in the bedroom window. And it sounded like, you've heard the phrase, it sounded like a freight train was coming through. That's exactly what it sounded like. And that's because a freight train was coming through. But he had lived there so long, he'd become immune to it. Just part of living there. Didn't even wake him up. Now, this is the problem that we have with the Lord's prayer. You've heard it so often. that it doesn't pack the punch that it should pack. Because let me tell you ultimately what's happening here is Jesus is showing you and I the only way we can successfully relate to God. In the words, just a few sentences, Jesus is trying to teach you this is the way you relate to God. And if you relate to God this way, You are going to have so much peace and joy and contentment. There's going to be an absence of fear and worry and doubt and anxiety. And who doesn't want that kind of life? So it's not only Jesus giving us the way to pray. It's Jesus explaining to us the only effective way in your life to approach God. It's one thing to know somebody. It's another thing to know how to approach them to have a successful relationship. And that's basically what Jesus is doing. That's why we call the series, "Here as in Heaven. Because when you relate to God on his terms in an appropriate fashion, then up there, all the good things of up there come down here. It's in your life here as it is in heaven. Now, in order for us to to get on the right page together, I want you to stand with me just right now. And what we're gonna do, we're all gonna recite the Lord's Prayer together. And here's the beauty of it. You know, we all use different words. Some of us use debts, others use trespasses uh, some of us use thee and thou, some of us use you and yours. I'm going to allow you to do whatever you want to do. Repeat the Lord's prayer the way you want to. Now, if you're new here and you're a little uncomfortable, that's okay. Then I've printed a version for you on the screen and you can just read it off the screen, or you can just have the freedom to just say it in your mind. You don't need to say it out loud. So you've got total freedom. I'm going to, uh, enunciate my version. You enunciate yours. and We're all going to pray the Lord's prayer together. You ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, that might be the only time you get to pray this week, but you just did. Now, have a seat. Now, here's what I want you to notice. How does the Lord's Prayer begin? With what words? Why? Why? Because until you learn the appropriate relationship with you and God, your life's not going to go well. You say, are you, are you serious, Pastor Jeff? Absolutely. Because there's one of two ways to relate to God you either relate to him as a boss, employee to employer, or you relate to him as a child of the father, a child of God, the father. The problem is Jesus says in all of his teachings that most people, and and yes, most people are going to miss the boat on this, that we're going to try to relate to God as an employee would to an employer, especially when we begin to pray. So what we do is we approach prayer from the standpoint of asking God to give us a raise or extra vacation time or something that we want. So we believe we can control and manipulate God in prayer by basically entering in a self-imposed contract. We say this to God in our lives. God, if I do this, then you should do that. God, if I obey you in this area, then you should bless me in this area. So most of us approach God, Jesus says... In a very public fashion. That's why earlier in the text, he talks about the Pharisees praying out loud so that everybody can hear them. And they want to do that so they can win the favor of God and win the favor of other people. But Jesus tries to show you from the get-go in the Lord's prayer that a father rewards you quite differently than an employer will reward an employee. If you're relating to God as a boss... How does the boss reward you? You apply, you get the job, you do what your boss tells you, then you're compensated, right? That's your employee. But a father, if you're in a family, you're not there because you applied for the job or because you did anything outstanding to get the job. You're chosen to be in that family by sheer grace. Now, I got to walk you through this. So I'm hoping that one of these illustrations will kind of set you free a little bit on what Jesus is trying to do by starting the Lord's prayer with our Father. When we come to God, Jesus says, don't come to him as an employee would do an employer. Don't come to God in a tit for tat premise. God, I have been sexually pure in my life. So bless my marriage. God, I gave to the poor. So bless my finances. God, I've done what you've asked me to do in this area. So deliver the goods. Jesus is saying from the get go by the first two words, that is not the kind of relationship God wants with you. He wants you to approach him out of sheer love and gratitude. Not in trying to manipulate or control him. Not by merit or earning, but by trusting in the sheer grace and goodwill of the Father. That's why Matthew 6, verse 4, and verse 6 and verse 8. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, let's just take a time out here. I'm going to hammer this just a bit because if we don't get this, we can't get the rest. Think about the difference between going to God in your prayer time as a father and going to him as an employer. Think about the difference in attitude. My little boy, Delaney, uh, when we lived in New Zealand, we would walk down to the Shell station and it was a matter of time, as soon as he saw the lollies, he would look up to dad and he'd tug on my shirt, dad, can I have a dollar? Now, if I'm his employee, I'm gonna say, sure, but what'd you do to work for it? But if I'm his father, it's gonna be sheer grace. Sometimes when you pay your children for doing something, it's not, you're not paying them for excellence, are you? You're, paying, you're, giving, you're overpaying them out of the sheer mercy and grace of your heart. You with me? Now, sometimes children will attempt to relate to you as a boss or employee, employer, and you have to teach them as a parent, don't relate to me that way because you'll lose. Relate to me as your father, sheer grace, sheer mercy. Now, the point is, if you don't want to relate to God in a, a self-imposed covenant. You don't want to get to the point where you're saying, God, you know, I've done this. Now you need to do that. And God, if I do this, see, he knows your motivation. And in prayer, why you pray is more important to God than what you pray, your motivation. So right from the get go, when Jesus uses the terms, our father and Stephen talked about this, when God, when you approach him as a father, you're expecting to relate to him and him to relate to you on the basis of mercy and grace Now, just quickly before I move on and show you what this prayer does, here's one key that you are relating to God as a boss rather than a father. If you're relating to God, if you have a boss relationship with God, almost everything you do spiritually will be in public. It'll be in public. Verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Two years ago, I took my family to Charleston, South Carolina. I told you about my experience in visiting this church, this huge, beautiful church in Charleston. And I hadn't been to a church like this in a long time. The homily that was given by the priest was fantastic, but I looked around and nobody was listening. I stayed after the service just to talk to people. And I pretended as though I was new, and I was new. And I asked questions. And after talking to about 15, 20 people, this is the kind of thing I do on my study break, I learned very quickly that this was a type of church where they truly believed that the important thing was to recite rituals. And in in reciting rituals, then you got God on your side and God would absolve you of your sin. But once you walked out, Monday to Friday is a whole different story. Now, the real point with Jesus is this. Not do you pray at church. Do you have a private prayer life? Not if you worship in church. Do you worship privately? Do you seek God privately? Do you have a private devotional life? And if not, listen, if not, and the primary place that you worship and pray and read scripture is one hour and a half on the weekend, then you most probably have a boss relationship with God, not a father relationship with God. If 90% of your prayer, your Bible reading, scripture reading, your spiritual activity is done on church in a weekend, but you don't have a private prayer life, a private devotional life, a private worship experience during the week, chances are you're still relating to God as a boss and that will never work. And as you get older, you're going to start to die a little bit emotionally. You with me? Now, let me stay with this just a second. So, such a powerful concept here. Uh, you've heard me use the term Jesus revelation how many times now? So many times. I married my wife, Robin, because I loved her. I was in love. And yes, in lust too. That's guys, right? You're overwhelmed by this woman's beauty. You get to know her. And for most guys early in life, it is more about, wow, she's just so gorgeous than it is about what kind of person is she deep Emotionally, <laughs> we're just like that. God wired us that way. Uh, I I married her because I loved her. I wanted to get to know her. I wanted to grow old with her. But you know, somewhere around ten years in the marriage, I fell in love with her. You say, are you saying that you married her and you weren't in love? No, I loved her, but not like this. Because I I, I can't remember exactly what day it was, but I remember having this life-defining moment when I saw her in a new way that I'd never seen her before. And I started to think, man, this woman gave me two children. You know, I didn't go in labor. This woman gave up Africa for me. She did. She said, I know I'm not sure that God will call you, but I've decided that you're the one I want to grow old with. She gave up. She wanted to be a geologist. Now, I'm not saying that women have to do that. They don't. But she decided that I am going to do this to go and be the wife of a pastor. And suddenly it dawned on me all that she had done for me. And I fell in love with her. Now, that's exactly what has to happen to you somewhere along the line with God. God did not come just to relate to you on an intellectual basis. Yeah, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I get that. But God did not come just for you to give an intellectual assent that God exists. Because some of you say, yeah, I believe God exists. Yeah, I believe that God is good. I believe that God is Father. Yeah, I believe He loves me. I believe He's holy and He's sovereign and all the things you say, Pastor Jeff. And I believe He's tender. But there's a difference between believing this about God and experiencing these things from God existentially. As long as God is an employer, you're going to relate to him onto intellectual ability only. It's not enough to just know about the tenderness of God. Have you felt the tenderness of God? It's not enough to know about the love, mercy, and grace of God. Have you felt existentially? Have you experienced the grace and mercy of God? It's not enough to know about the peace of God. Have you experienced the peace of God and continue to do so every day of your life, no matter what's happening externally? These are emotions that are meant to be felt, not just known. So the point is, folks, until you fall in love with God, because you have that life-defining moment where you realize truly what he has done for you, you'll never be able to approach him on his terms. Never. And your soul will continue to die, and emotionally you'll be a wreck. You'll develop more and more hatred for people, not more and more love. You'll develop more and more resentment toward God, not more and more. You'll develop less and less faith toward God when difficulties come because you're still relating to him as a merit, as an earning system. God, I did this. What's wrong? Why aren't you rewarding me? Now, once you get that, then you can understand why Jesus goes on with the rest of the prayer because he says, this is how you should approach God. And everybody, you should take these mental notes. If you've got to write it down, write it down. If you've got to memorize. But if you're really relating to God as your father, there are four things going to be evident when you start to pray. Number one is this. The first thing you're going to do is adore him. Adoration. That's the first word. Adoration. If you're relating to God as a boss, the first thing you want to do is bargain with him. The first thing you'll do when you start to pray is ask. You'll move right on into asking because he's your boss. And you're thinking, well, the boss has all the power. He's the decision maker. So you're going to say, God, as soon as you start praying, help me, please. How about a little help down here for the common man? But if you're relating to God as father, what's the first thing you do? You don't begin with what you want. You begin with who he is. God, you are awesome. You are holy. Our father, you're my father. You're in heaven. You've got a vantage point that I don't have. You see everything. So I'm going to trust you and your goodwill for me. Hallowed be your name. God, you are holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And so when you begin to close your eyes, God knows if you're just there to get something or if you're there to enjoy the relationship. But if you're not relating to God as a father, there's no relationship to enjoy. So that's why Jesus said, when you want to pray, if you want to relate to God, the first thing you do is adore him for who he is. Our father who art in heaven. By the way, the Greek word is uranos, which means closer than the air that you breathe. So God is closer to you than the air that you breathe. And he's holy. Hallowed be his name. He is pure. He is holy. He is righteous, which would make you aware of your sin. And he obstacles between you and God. And yet all this holiness and righteousness, they are tempered by the fact that he's your father. He's gentle. He's loving. He's kind. And he has your best interest in mind. Listen, the reality is adoration is what your heart needs most and you don't know it. What you need most in your life for stability is to delve into who God really is, to be captivated by him existentially. Until you do that, you're going to relate to God in a way that's not going to do you much good. As a matter of fact, look at the people in scripture who have grown closest to God. They start with adoration. Have you read read the book of Psalms? What does David do? chapter after chapter by the way if you say i don't i have a hard time praying i don't let me tell you how you can start just start reading the psalms just start reading a psalm because they're all prayers when you start to pray in adoration god's love for you becomes an existential reality cuz words are powerful but words of truth make you invincible think about this think about psalm 23 the psalm that you know what does david say he talks to himself the lord is my shepherd I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the deepest valley, darkest valley, I will feel no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's he doing? He's talking. It's self-talk. He's reminding himself who God is and that makes him invincible. By the way, do you know there was a prayer that Jesus would have prayed that we find in other places? It's not recorded in the Bible, but all young Jewish boys in the first century learned to pray this prayer. It's called the Amidah. This is a prayer Jesus would have probably prayed three times a day. We acknowledge to you, O Lord, that you are our God as you were the God of our fathers forever and ever rock of our life, shield of our salvation. You are unchanging from age to age. We thank you and declare your praise for our lives that are in your hands, for our souls that are entrusted to you. Your miracles are with us every day and your benefits are with us at all times, evening, morning, midday. You are good for your mercies are endless. You are merciful for your kindnesses are never complete. From everlasting, we have hoped in you. And for all these things, may your name be blessed and exalted always and forevermore. Let every living thing give praise to you and praise your name in truth. O oh God, our salvation and our help. Blessed are you, O oh Lord. Your name is good and to you it is right to give thanks. Now, do you think God really needs to be reminded of all these things? When you pray, who's the prayer really for? You. You to remind you of who God is, your father who loves you, who's sovereign, who is holy, who is pure. Look, I've shared this many times that one of the ways I was able to endure these two and a half years of severe anxiety was I would go for a run. And as I would go for a run, I would allow the pattern of my feet to sing out a song to me. And it was this, God determines who lives and dies. God determines who lives and dies. That's really the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your decisions are good, God, hallowed be your name. If you decide that my days are up, well, that's your decision, God, because my life is a gift anyway. And there's something that happened in me at that point. I just let go of the fear of dying and said, God, I'm in your hands and your decisions are good and you are a loving father, which means a father loves his child and always has good intentions in mind. That's why people who've added Jesus' revelation and fallen in love with God, they are steady in the most difficult storms of life. Corey Ten Boom, I've used this example numerous times, goes through the hellish situation of a concentration camp and in the middle of that pain and suffering and injustice, she says, no matter how deep the pit of despair, his love is deeper still. You can only say that if your relationship has gone past the intellect into the existential. If you felt the deep love of God, And let me tell you, if you're falling apart emotionally every time your life goes up and down, it's probably because you still have a boss relationship with God, not one of fatherhood. Because if he was your father, you trust him. You know he has goodwill for you. If you ignore God until you want something and then you go to him, it's not going to work. Not going to work because he's going to want to deal with a lot of things before he gets to your asks.
1: Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill and you've been listening to a message preached by Pastor Jeff Vines. The first message in a series on the Lord's Prayer. We'll continue the rest of it next time on the show. So join me then for more from Matthew chapter
0: six. Have you ever noticed that Jesus prayed parts of the Lord's Prayer on two occasions? One was in the garden and the other was on the cross. In the garden, He said, what? Not my will, but yours be done. He calls Godfather three times in that passage.
1: Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines.